there. Welcome to Livewire. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. This week on the show, Maria Bamford stops by. Now, Maria is truly a unique voice in comedy. You might know her from the Netflix show Lady Dynamite um, or one of my favorite comedy documentaries, which is called The Comedians of Comedy. Or maybe you know her from the time she did an entire stand-up special for her mom and dad in the living room of her childhood home. Maria's got a new book out. It's called Sure, I'll Join Your Cult, A Memoir of Mental Illness and the Quest to Belong Anywhere. And she talks in the book about 12-step programs and the Suzuki violin method, which have more in common than you might think. Then, speaking of music, we're going to hear some music from Isabo Bayau Walker. She's going to talk about her childhood growing up on Maui and how that shaped her musical sound. We got a hilarious, heartfelt episode of Livewire coming your way right after this. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of LiveWire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, and then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. This episode of Livewire was originally recorded in September of 2023. We hope you enjoy it. Now, let's get to the show. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke. How's it going? It is going splendidly. I'm very, very intrigued to find out if you're going to be able to nail this week's station location identification examination. It is, mm. um, let's just say, a subtle offering. <laughs> so I want to see if you can figure out where we are on the radio somewhere in America. This is a new station, by the way. Mm. And uh, then you got to guess, and I'll tell you if you have guessed correctly. Okay, this place is elevated. It's at 4,658 feet above sea level, and it boasts 300 days a year of sunshine. Hmm. So it's not in Kansas. We can move it to a certain region of the country where you might be yeah. a, you know, a mile above sea level. And it's not in the Pacific Northwest either because of all those days of sunshine. Right. Uh, is it somewhere in Colorado? You are in the right state, my friend. <gasps> Oh, I know four cities in Colorado. Let's go. Okay, let's see if this is one of them. It was described on the show South Park as, quote, the exact opposite of Hawaii, although it once also supplied a quarter of America's sugar, which is an interesting footnote for a city in Colorado. Is it Colorado Springs? No, it's the place where the modern-day lawn sprinkler system was invented. <laughs> and also, in 2015, they got the Guinness World Record for the longest continuous chalk art drawing. That's got to give it away. I mean, oh, yeah, totally. What are your four cities? 
Fort Collins. Okay. No. Colorado Springs, Denver, no. and Boulder. And also Greeley. Hey. Greeley, Colorado. Part of Community Radio for Northern Colorado, which uh, again is a new station. So welcome everybody tuning in from Greeley. Are you ready to do the show? Yes, let's do it. All right. From PRX, it's... This week, comedian Maria Bamford. I'm the four foot nine Tony Robbins who speaks in a whisper and then falls asleep while I'm talking to you. <laughs> oh, man. With music from Isabeau Vayau Walker. My dad is a, a storyteller, and years ago I was home, and I woke up, and he's like at the foot of the bed. He's like, I have something to tell you, which is not extreme for my dad. To be waiting, like, in the wings, like, I'm ready. I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello, and now, the host of Livewire, Luke Burbank. Thank you, Elena Passarello. Thanks to everyone. All across America listening to the show this week, we have a great program in store for you. We're going to talk to Maria Bamford. We're going to hear some great music. Uh, we also asked Livewire listeners a question. We said, what is the closest thing to a cult that you have ever belonged to? We're going to be hearing those responses coming up in a few minutes. First, though, of course, we got to kick things off with the best news we heard all week. This right here is our little reminder at the top of the show. There is some good news happening out there in the world. Elena, what is the best news you heard all week? Okay, so when you were a kid or now when you were watching cartoons, you know how like every time on Looney Tunes or Bugs Bunny or whatever, every time there was an oyster, there was a pearl in it? Yes, I think I definitely believed that if you wanted a pearl, you'd just go find an oyster. Yeah, that they were all in there, and if you could just figure out how to get the darn thing open, mm -hmm. you would be swimming in pearls. Apparently, that is very, very not true. Okay. Very rare. Also, not only oysters have pearls in them every once in a blue moon, but clams do as well, which I did not know. There's a species of clam or a breed of clam or whatever that hmm. also makes pearls. It takes decades. So I don't know if... Sandy Sikorsky and Ken Steinkamp knew about this. These are two Rhode Islanders. They're in their 70s. They have been dating for about three years. Okay. Sort of later in life romance for these two folks who've been divorced and have kids and grandkids. So they're out having a clam dinner with uh, Sandy's brother and sister. And Sandy's like, uh-oh, I think I broke a tooth. But it turns out it wasn't a tooth. It was a gigantic pearl that she found inside one of the clams in her clam dinner. She says it was so big, there's no way she would have uh, unknowingly swallowed it. So this wasn't like on the beach. They're like digging for clams and they crack it open. This is like in a restaurant? Yeah, she ordered <laughs> like a shelled clam dinner. And chomp, chomp, chomp. Oh my goodness, what is this? And I also, when I was a kid, thought all the pearls that came out were kind of gorgeous. But yes. often the pearls that oysters make are kind of misshapen or brown or they look, I don't know. How rude. A booger. Yeah, how rude. But this pearl was actually kind of beautiful. It was this lovely creamy color. And like I said, it was quite large. It was like 10 millimeters. So Sandy pocketed the pearl. I don't know if she told the restaurant about her finding. And, you know, life kind of like moved on. And about 18 months later, they finally got around to going down to a jeweler. And the jeweler was like, oh, OK, I think you need to meet my friend Wishbone. <laughs> 
head. Oh, the jeweler also said that this was an incredibly rare thing, and a pearl that size probably grew for 50 years inside Whoa. that clam. Because a pearl, if if I remember right, it's it's a small piece of sand or something that the mm-hmm. the 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 animal has been kind of worrying over as you were, like kind of covering it with this coating. Probably what? So it's not so bothersome and that's what you end up, that's how you get the pearl? Yeah, it's like a protective measure that just keeps on going and then before you know it, uh, you have this, you have a pearl. Well, 50 years. So, I mean, depending on your (laughs) definition of before you know it. But it was the clam's masterpiece. Let's think about it that way. Yeah. So they took it to this guy named Wishbone, who <laughs> designed with Sandy this beautiful setting. It kind of looks like a claw of gold filigree with a diamond on every size. And in the article I read, there's a picture of this pearl, and it is a honker. It's just, I mean, it's it's just gorgeous. And now it's got a little bit of bling attached to it. Her sweetheart, Ken, was like, it kind of looks like the Eiffel Tower, which I feel like is a classic dude response to, to jewelry, but fine. So they ordered it when they got the ring. He was like, oh, yeah, I guess will you marry me? (laughs) Because, you know, like they're grownups and they knew that they were going to get around to getting married someday and they knew they were going to get engaged someday. And so not the kind of pomp and circumstances when you're getting like pinned by your fraternity sweetheart when you're 22 or whatever. And he proposed in front of her family with this ring that they had made and wedding plans are on the way. She already has a granddaughter to whom she wants to give the pearl eventually and now she has this incredible beautiful story that I bet nobody else in this world at present has I have never heard of anything like that happening they are having the reception at Red Lobster (laughs) you also think would these two be getting married when they're getting married if not for this magical pearl in this clam because you know People can drag their feet for all kinds of reasons. But once you have the ring and a story like that, you kind of got to do it. Yeah. It's a pearl of wisdom, so to speak. It sure is. Hey. I want to mention that our executive producer, Laura Haddon, specifically asked that I do this story. So if this gets us banned from public radio, I was only following direction here. It's the story of a raccoon in Cochran, Georgia. Now, you've spent some time in Georgia. Have you ever been through Cochran? Oh, yeah, my old stumps. Uh, No, no, I don't think so. Well, apparently it can get cold in Cochran. It was about 10 degrees recently, and a railroad worker named Neil Mullis was out checking on the railroad tracks, and what did he find but a raccoon who had been wandering across the tracks and decided to sit on the railroad tracks and became attached to the tracks via his anatomy. His anatomy. The raccoon's anatomy froze to the railroad tracks. There are, there's video and pictures of this. And it, it would be adorable if it weren't so scary for this raccoon who's just sitting there. Like, remember the old black and white movies where the, you know, like the, the villain would tie the damsel up to the, to the railroad tracks? Uh-huh. <laughs> That's what this raccoon had like wandered into, but the like, uh, you know, Christmas story version where he's frozen to the tracks. It's his, his like bathing suit parts is exactly. what you're saying. That's right. Okay. That's the part of the okay. raccoon that got stuck to the tracks. <laughs> Thank goodness Neil Mullis and uh, his uh, co-worker saw this raccoon and embarked on a project to get the raccoon off of the tracks, which involved pouring warm water on the raccoon's bathing suit area and slowly <laughs> using a shovel to, to lift the <laughs> raccoon off of the tracks and uh, it, I mean, this raccoon was really stuck. There was fur from the raccoon still on the tracks. This is cell phone uh, footage from Neil's cell phone. Again, we're going to have to bleep some of this out later, but this is what a Georgia 
railroad employee sounds like when they found a raccoon that is stuck to the train tracks by way of its nether regions. Operation well performed. Little fella safe. There's the rest of his nut hair. God damn nuts froze to the rail. That that's the only place on public radio you're gonna hear that tape this week, my friends. So it's like a like a raccoon Brazilian bikini wax That's right. via the train tracks. Sure, some people pay extra for that, but this raccoon got a free one. Uh, the raccoon uh, was just fine, ran off into the woods. Um, did you know this? I didn't realize male raccoons are called boars. I didn't know that. B-O-A-R-S. This was an article I saw in the uh, Daily Mail, and this is how you know it was a hit story, Elena. It says, we are no longer accepting comments on this article. There were so many comments. <laughs> Or maybe so many inappropriate comments, they had to shut it down. (laughs) So uh, that raccoon getting a free Brazilian is the best news that I heard this week. This is Livewire from PRX. Okay, we've got to take a very quick break, but do not go anywhere because... When we return, we will talk to one of my very favorite comedians out there, Maria Bamford. She's got a new book called Sure, I'll Join Your Cult. Maria is going to talk about how she ended up buying a carpet for a comedy club in Portland, Oregon, and also uh, why she doesn't like to perform at charity events anymore. And it's not because she's not charitable. We will explain in just a moment here on LiveWire. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke. I didn't see you there. It's that time of year again. My seasonal allergies are back. Oh, congratulations. But also, it's our spring member drive, which is happening right now through May 17th. Oh, I like that much more than seasonal allergies. Yeah, if you are not yet a member of Livewire's League of Extraordinary Listeners, well, now is the time to do it. Why? Well, because this League of Extraordinary Listeners... Uh, is what keeps the lights on over at Livewire Inc., uh, which is definitely not the association that we are part of. I'm probably a 501c3. They don't let me near any of the paperwork mm-hmm. or bookkeeping, and it's really better that way. Yes. Point is, we we are only able to keep doing this show because of support from our members, and we would love it if you could join us in that right now. Plus, there are all kinds of sweet perks, including... Uh, special discounted tickets to live recordings, on-air shout-outs, exclusive content. Uh, And, Elena, uh, one more thing, that, of course, we would not be a self-respecting public radio show if we didn't offer this. If we didn't offer the most iconic public radio swag of all time, a tote bag. True iconic status. Yeah, but it's not just any tote bag. This is like a really good tote bag. It's got a second zipper, an internal zipper. Yes, whatever you want to put in the tote bag, that's your business, okay? What we're mm-hmm. here to talk about is you keeping LiveWire going. So head on over to LiveWireRadio.org to see the various member levels. It does not matter how much you are giving every month to LiveWire. It just matters that you do it because it goes a long way for us. So thank you. Welcome back to LiveWire from PRX. I'm your host, Luke Burbank, here with Elena Passarello. All right. Our first guest this week is one of my favorite comedians working today. And what is so interesting to me about Maria Bamford's work is that it really does cover the whole range of human experience. Uh, It's the funny stuff, but it's also the scary stuff and the sad stuff. The New York Times calls her comedy weird 
and ingenious. She's the star of Lady Dynamite. She has several critically acclaimed stand-up specials to her credit. And she says her goal as a comedian is to transform isolating experiences into comedy that makes us all feel less alone, which is exactly what she also does in her latest book. It's called Sure, I'll Join Your Cult, a memoir of mental illness and the quest to belong anywhere. She joined us recently from her home near L.A. This is Maria Bamford on Livewire. Maria Bamford, welcome to Livewire. (laughs) Thank you for having me, Luke Burbank. This book is really, really funny. And also like so much of your work, it's really, really honest. Uh, One of the things that you talk about, I mean, it's called Sure, I'll Join Your Cult. You talk about you've always been drawn to kind of, I don't know if we can say the word weird, but like kind of odd groups of people, things that could be described as culty. Why do you think that's always been appealing to you? Well, I like being invited to things. (laughs) I don't necessarily, you know, I say yes before understanding what they represent and uh, I love being in a thing and then and then pushing the boundaries of that thing by complaining about it <laughs> and <laughs> talking it in public. <laughs> and the first group, of course, I did that with was my family. Uh, then secondarily, uh, Christianity as a whole. Uh, then moved on to Suzuki violin, uh, <laughs> Dale Carnegie training courses, uh, the Artist's Way, 12-step groups. I, I, I desperately love all these things. Um, somebody got mm-hmm. mad at me from my groups, from my 12-step cults, and said, you shouldn't make fun of... You know, these programs saved your life. Why else be alive mm. except to make fun of things that are really <laughs> important to you? Yeah. The part about Debtors Anonymous, one of the groups you're in, um, yes. was illuminating to me because I guess I assumed from that name that it was a group designed to help people who are addicted to going into debt of some kind. And it sounds like what it really is, is just like a great accountability for just practicing better financial health. It's for whatever you want it to be. You know, I mean, an AA or NA, isn't it, aren't they just people sitting in chairs just trying not to do something terrible? You Hmm. know, I I just, I'm very much into harm reduction. Um, Hmm. Like, DA helped me, first of all, um, how to get a job, a full-time job and keep that job, which I did not realize was just, it was just going to be a lot of discomfort and asking Mm. for support and going, oh, I got to show up again. Mm. Um, But I did such a good job today. Aren't I done? And, uh, (laughs) uh, And also doing things in a counterintuitive way, like it's a lot of cognitive behavioral stuff. And some of it is very culty, which I, I don't ascribe to, which is part of the reason I can still attend 12-step groups is they do have this aphorism, which is take what you want, leave the rest. And I mm. take only what I want, which is only a few, <laughs> a few mm. things, which are mostly cookies, mostly <laughs> cookies. And I leave the rest, which is the decaf. Uh, who who brought decaf? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I was a kid, I didn't really know what twelve step was, but I knew there were certain uh, like storefronts in my neighborhood where people were just furiously chain smoking in front and drinking yes. coffee out of styrofoam cups. And I was like, I don't know what that is, but uh, that's something happening. I got it mixed up with Stations of the Cross. Like I, the, in my head, they kind of got scrambled together. Like the however many of and those there were. But you're not. You're not wrong. Stations of the Cross, like in terms of like, it's this process where you go through recognizing. And I I talk about it in the book, just sort of seeing how I've 
rewritten them for myself so that they make sense more as a thing, a, a science-based thing of like, okay, here's this thing that I do. Uh, this is how it's affecting me in negative ways. Um, is there any tiny thing I could change about my current behavior? For example, the example I use is parking illegally. <laughs> I seem to do that uh, continuously. Today, what I did instead of parking illegally, I parked in a bank parking lot mm. across the street. Now, I was not a bank customer. And so it's it was all about still harm borderline illegal. But was that a little bit better than getting a $70 ticket? I would argue yes. And you didn't get towed, I'm assuming. Didn't get towed. Got asked by the lady. <laughs> asked by the lady behind the desk, are you a Wells Fargo customer? <laughs> and because I have used an ATM at Wells Fargo, I said to myself, yes. <laughs> yes, I am. Now, is that kind of honesty a gray area? Uh Yes. Uh, I don't think there's any gray there. I lied. <laughs> but you're not going to Liars Anonymous. You're going to Debtors Anonymous. Debtors Anonymous. And, and, and you know, somebody will give you the hard line. You'll go like, this is the way you have to do it. Uh, the Tony Robbins cell mm. of, you know, I'm seven foot five feet tall and I'm going <laughs> to yell at you about what you have to do. Um, I am I'm the four foot nine Tony Robbins who speaks in a whisper. And then falls asleep while I'm talking to you. Uh, we're talking to Maria Bamford here on Livewire. She's got a book out. It's called Sure, I'll Join Your Cult. Um, I, you do have a really great relationship with the town of Portland, Oregon. Like this is really, because that's where I'm recording from right now. Right. This is a real hot zip for you. What do you think it is about uh, this place that that connects with you? I don't know. No, I don't know what's going on. Uh, maybe <laughs> it's the the dream of socialism, though it doesn't, uh, <laughs> a social democracy. It's you know, of course, we know that, that that's uh, not always functioning at, <laughs> at opt optimal. But uh, yeah, like Portland, uh, the vision is good. The mm -hmm. vision is good. We aspire to the same world that Maria Bamford aspires to, essentially. Yes, even though yeah, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing the best. I'm giving 11%, my <laughs> husband and I, 11% of our income to uh, Downtown Women's Center in uh, LA, which is uh, mm. providing homes for uh, the women of the Skid Row neighborhood of downtown mm -hmm. Los Angeles. But can we give more? Yes. What are you spending <laughs> money on? Clogs. <laughs> Speaking of charity, Maria, um, I heard that you bought the rug for the green room at the Helium Comedy Club here in Portland, the city that loves you the most. How did that come about? Well, I think, have you ever been in a comedy club green room? I've been in that comedy club green room. <laughs> yeah. And I am not the first who uh, gives back at uh, a decorating <laughs> level. Um <laughs> Todd Glass um, always comes in and does a redo, or I always hear about, you know, mm -hmm. some new lamp that he's picked up. Now, of course, these things <laughs> may disappear because, you know, who else needs decor? People who work at comedy clubs. Uh, I see. Uh, it's, mm. not a, it's not a high-income uh, place always unless you're working uh, on a weekend where there's a barnstormer of an act. Um, uh, yeah, my, I'm, I don't think I'm, yeah, I don't think I'm a great earner for tips. Well, you break this down in the book, though. 
Uh, yes. You actually break yeah. down a month of, I want to be honest, when I heard that was in the book, it was immediately the thing I was most excited to read, which is a sort of a poor <laughs> reflection on me. But I wanted to know what the Bamfoo business looks like. And it was an extremely transparent thing. Is that like a holdover from your time in Debtors Anonymous? Yes. Oh, yeah. And I'm still in it. Love that group. And I know I'm breaking the rule. I'm not supposed to say publicly I'm in it. Uh, so hit me <laughs> with a lightning strike. <laughs> Higher power, um, whatever. Yeah. But I love that. Also, it's there's a philosophy of an accounting called open book accounting, where everyone in the company is educated um, not only about accounting principles, but about the real finances of the company they work for so that they might have a better understanding of why they're paid what they're paid, how the business is operating. And so I've liked to do that with comedians who've worked for me. Some people are less interested. Hmm. <laughs> I'm like, here's all these numbers. And they're like, what? Um, because it is, it's emotional for me. Like, I, I feel like I get mad when I hear that fellow comics are being paid at the same amount that I was being paid uh 30 years ago, hmm. 50 bucks a show or or zilch or nothing. And then the whoever it is who's headlining is making, I mean, it depends, but it can be like seven to, you know, hundred grand uh, a week, depending, yeah, depending on if it's a larger space, but then if they have all the income from people doing private meetups afterwards, like anyways, mm -hmm. it's just, that whole thing that I think everyone's dealing with of the huge numbers at the top yeah. and unlivable wages at the bottom. So I'm hoping that if I tell everybody what I'm making, then people can point it out to me and go, God, you're a monster, because I don't know. <laughs> or, um, yeah, that people can negotiate with me. I mean, I have friends say to me, hey, Maria, could I, could I have a couple more, 100 extra more bucks? Like, yeah. Like, right. because I've been open and, and said, and that's, I felt embarrassed, but then it was like, oh, yes, thank you. Please do not harbor resentments towards me while I'm wearing these brand new <laughs> clogs. <laughs> brand new, patent leather, red clogs. And that's not the only place in the book where you're thinking about fiscal things. I was very comforted by the money mm -hmm. talk in terms of like what you refer to as the mentals, like spending your life, making sure that you get the help that you need. Did it, Was that a, a goal at the top? Well, I think it's just something everyone has to deal with. You know, where our society, or at least in my brain, I always value work over and mm -hmm. cash over my health. So mm -hmm. um, whether I'm enjoying life doesn't seem to be as important <laughs> as um, whether other people think I'm doing well, you know, like, mm. uh, yeah, attaining some goals or something. Also, I have found in trying to find mental health help, not only is it uncomfortable, I don't want to spend money on it, but sometimes even if you have the money, even if you have the insurance, the care is not ideal. Um, mm -hmm. So I think the advertising with it can make you feel even where you'll be like, oh, did I go to the wrong person? Or, hmm. yeah, just nobody has the time. To, you just got to believe yourself. You're your own best patient hmm. advocate. You know what's right for yourself. And um, so I just want to reflect back to people that if you're having a hard time getting a care, it's not you. Hmm. <laughs> it's because yeah. the memes make it seem like 
you know, I, you know, you just do it, just talk about it and everything right. gets better. And it's like, well, yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> may, maybe, oh. and yeah, but no, yeah, but no, and, <laughs> and it really, everyone's situation is extremely different and, uh, yeah, just much love and support to everybody and for whatever experiencing they're, they're, they're having. Yeah, because I think there can be a lot of blame. And for all healthcare, you know, you're told, well, I mean, it seems like if you did a little bit more self, you know, did you do the real work? Did you do the Byron Katie real work? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, we're talking to Maria Bamford here on Livewire. She's got a book out. It's called Sure, I'll Join Your Cult. One of the things that fans of yours like myself know uh, is that you've talked about since I've been seeing you live is, is your mental health. Was that something that was always part of your material? Like when you're, you know, coming out of Minnesota and you're just like, be, I, there's some great photos in the book, by the way, of the, <laughs> of the arc of your different, the publicity, the ways that they've tried to promote Maria Bamford photographically throughout the years is really something. Um, did you, I, I'm wondering when you started to know that you could talk about your real life and parts of your real life, like mental health, and that it would resonate with people as opposed to kind of like make uh, you know, make it harder on you to have a successful career? I mean, I started doing things, starting college. And then I, when I finally kind of really started in earnest, I was in Minneapolis, which has a very, you know, feminist uh, theater community. So it was very welcoming. Like mm -hmm. I found a lot of spaces or I, I definitely looked for and or created spaces where, uh, I was welcome to do anything. And I, I got support for that from other people, partly through all the groups I was in. Um, and also, I, I, lo I love that book, The Artist's Way, which... That was a great yeah. part of the book. I was like, oh, yeah, that is a cult. <laughs> <laughs> so is Suzuki Violin. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's great and really helped me a lot. And also, there's some parts where it's like, cutting people off going, well, that's a poisonous playmate, you know, like if somebody <laughs> says anything critical about your work and like, you've really got to protect yourself. And it's like, well, you're going to mm -hmm. start cutting off everyone in your whole life because everyone's <laughs> um, monstrous really when it comes down to it without trying. Um, right. So I've always talked about whatever I wanted to. I, I don't remember ever thinking, oh, now I can talk about this or. Wow. Yeah. So you didn't have a phase where you thought to fit into comedy. I mean, it sounds like it was really fortunate for you that you started in Minneapolis and not trying to get time at Flappers in Burbank. Yeah, I definitely mm -hmm. did not. And, and, yeah, there was a comedy club, and the only time I would perform there was if it was a women's night once a week, once a year. But all the women in, in wigs who've had a milk bath. Um, but sorry, I don't know uh, what I'm referencing there. But um, I definitely just kept to places yeah. where the love was, and I always have. I've definitely tried to do that, though sometimes I have not been able to avoid. Uh, uncomfortable situations where I I am not the right act for the room. Mm -hmm. uh, I refuse to do benefits now, uh, not because I don't care about every single cause. It is because the person who hires me 
is the fan. Mm. The people they're trying to get millions of dollars from are winos in Napa Valley. And that means <laughs> I'm going to sink like a you know, lead balloon. And by the way, lest, lest people think you're being, you're just making something up, Maria, are you referring to a specific schizophrenia conference? Yes, schizophrenia research. <laughs> uh, Yamanika Saunders brought me up, uh, did a, was, you know, blasted the audience and did her job. I went on for 30 minutes and uh, brought everything to a screeching halt. They began <laughs> clapping me off and or thinking I was done or hoping I was done. <laughs> Halfway through my act, I had to explain to them, no, um, you're going to be up here for another 15 minutes. It's contracted, but don't <laughs> worry. I can't wait to bring up your next act, who is who everyone wants to see, who is always appropriate for every room, and that man is Howie Mandel. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I will not do it because, I mean, have you ever found yourself at a benefit um, watching a creative act suffering on behalf of Parkinson's like mm-hmm. everybody else is drinking and talking and the poor people are trying to do their thing up top. No, yeah, totally. let's stop it. Stop it. Just rich people. Give your money. You don't have to ha- have mm-hmm. people prance in front of you. Let's stop the, the nonsense. Just put all your money into a pile. Let's have like everyone bring cash, wads of cash, mm. so we can see you. Because that's the part of the drama is right. that we can see you throw it in the pile and see how much you threw in the pile and weigh it, even weigh it. Um, <laughs> maybe have some music going on, you know. But uh, yeah, it doesn't have to be this thing where it affects people who are already not being paid for everything, and then <laughs> make them suffer. Uh, and you suffer for, if, you know, the, the wealthy don't need to suffer. No one needs to suffer. Well, I mean, it, it sounds like Maria that um, if I if I read the book correctly, that you're you're feeling like you're in a reasonably okay place, at least by your standards, in terms of yes. the mental and emotional health, financial health. I know that yes. you feel like you've kind of stabilized. What what is what what is keeping you doing stand up comedy, which you have described as having kind of a on and off relationship with the enjoyment of like, why are you, why are you still doing it? I don't like doing anything. I don't, <laughs> nothing seems like a great idea to me. I am an object at rest. I would like to stay at rest. I am in the story of Sisyphus. I am the rock that needs to be pushed up the hill and then it falls back down on that poor man. I, yeah, it's not, I like doing it. I enjoy, I enjoy doing it once I get there, much Mm. like everything. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, I have to get there first. Um, Well, just know that Portland is always here waiting for you with the finest rug ever to grace a comedy green room. Did you see it? No, I haven't. I've just heard it's legend. Oh my God. I'm so glad that it arrived. (laughs) He sent it. Maria Bamford's new book is Sure, I'll Join Your Cult. And uh, we're so happy to have her here with us on Livewire. Maria, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Hey, special thanks this episode to Kip Silverman, Portland, Oregon, and Kurt Stephenson of Seattle, Washington. Kip and Kurt are part of the Livewire member community, and they are generously supporting the show with a donation each month, which is vital to keeping Livewire going. So a very, very big thanks to Kip and Kurt 
for supporting the show. This is Livewire from PRX. Of course, each week on the program, we like to ask our listeners a question because Maria Bamford's book is called Sure, I'll Join Your Cult. We wanted to know what the closest thing to a cult is that our listeners have joined. And maybe not like an actual cult that might be dangerous for you, but something you're a little too into maybe for your own good. Elena has been collecting up those responses and uh, she has them now. What are you seeing? Oh, I want to ask you about this one. It's from Ruby. The closest thing to a cult that Ruby has ever belonged to is the early 2000s punk scene in Portland, Oregon. That was before my time as a Pacific Northwesterner. Do you remember the punk scene 25 years ago? You know, if we were at a party and I'd had a couple beers, I would say yes, because I like to try to show off and for some reason sometimes lie about things that don't matter. But being here... In the sober light of day doing Livewire, I will tell you, I'm not that familiar with that scene, but I am familiar with scenes like it. I was really into a scene in Seattle at around the same time, which was a lot of musicians who had grown up in the church, but were now out doing music that wasn't necessarily specifically kind of religious. There's a a great band called Pedro the Lion. That was my buddy. My buddy Dave, he was in the same youth group I was in in church. He was the worship leader of our little youth group. So I knew a lot of people in that scene and was very into that. So I can kind of identify with what Ruby is talking about, but maybe a different scene located a few hundred miles to the north. Cool. Uh, what's something else that almost was a sort of a cult that one of our listeners was into? Uh, <laughs> is this like a punk band? Uh, <laughs> Trina says the closest thing to a cult that Trina has ever belonged to is my high school marching band in 1983 <laughs> and let me tell you i was a i was an orc dork i played in the orchestra what did you play i played the upright bass <laughs> wow i this is the i've known you for years this is the first time learning you know of this that? yeah i play i mean I, I played in all the all states and i i lugged the bass up to college and but we were always looking over at the marching band like what is going on with y'all like the amount of fun they're having or just how tight-knit they were Yes, both. They were having a lot of fun. They were tight-knit. There were a lot of rituals. They spent a lot more time together Mm -hmm. than the orchestra did or the chorus. I can see that because, first of all, you have to be totally coordinated, right? Like the physicality of all being out there marching together and then the musicality of it. And then you're in high school, so it's your total friend group. I could see it being – I'm surprised there aren't entire cities in America that are comprised of people that just did marching band together and then just never detached from each other. I saw a video this week of the Notre Dame amazing marching band. They're doing a Top Gun themed halftime show and they (laughs) form a plane and an aircraft carrier across the football field. And one phalanx like joins the other. So it looks like Maverick is landing his his fancy Tom Cruise plane on the aircraft carrier. I mean, if, if I saw that like at a college football game, I'd be like, who wants to watch the rest of the sports? Because that is probably the most spectacular thing that I will see today. Well, the thing <laughs> is, Notre Dame famously has this message when you come out of the locker room that says, play like a champion today. Uh-huh. I think what you just described is so much harder than football, probably. Like, I think that that should be for the marching band, That's not right. for the football team. Play highway to the danger zone on the right. euphonium like a champion right. today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, one more, one more thing that one of our listeners found themselves very involved in that felt almost cultish. 
Okay, there is one genre that has been frequently represented in these answers. The most, yep. like the different different iterations of this particular art form has been listed as a cult multiple times in the answers. Uh, this one is from Bob, and Bob's cult was three words, improv comedy <gasps> troupe. <laughs> Comedian, stand-up, improv, all of that uh-huh. world has uh, was was very well represented among our listeners for these audience cards. <laughs> if you think about it, you just get everyone believing that the answer is always yes. How's that not going to turn into some kind of cult-like situation? Yeah, I think that's exactly what they were doing in that wild, wild country. I think they were just saying yes to the Bhagwan, right. like again yes and again and, and again. Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh. <laughs> I've had a lot of friends that have been very, very involved in, in particularly the improv scene. And yeah, it is a real family and it becomes a real lifestyle. Also, my stand-up comedy friends in New York, they were like, I don't want to call it a cult, but these people would like make it their goal to perform at five different open mics per night. And the logistical coordination it took to make that happen was crazy. And they would all like ride around the subway together and watch each other do their jokes and then, you know, like make fun of each other and tag their jokes. It was like a that was pretty culty, actually, now that I think of it. All these things that we're describing also sound like they're full of love and camaraderie. So uh, maybe I don't know. It's sort of teaching me something about cults, especially with Maria's book, too. You know, right. Just make sure you end up in the right one, I guess. All right. Well, thank you to everyone. who sent in their responses to this week's question. Okay, before we go to a very quick break, a little preview of what we're doing next week on the program, okay? Stay with me. We are gonna be talking to author and humorist and longtime friend of mine, Sloane Crosley. Sloane is an incredible writer, incredibly funny, incredibly entertaining. Her books include Cult Classic and The Clasp, also the New York Times bestselling essay collection, I Was Told There'd Be Cake, also, how did you get this number? Um, Sloan's latest book is called Grief is for People, and it is a little bit of a, um, a tonal shift from some of the other stuff that Sloan has done, but it is incredible nonetheless. Then we're going to talk to New Yorker cartoonist Roz Chast, who has written or illustrated more than a dozen books, including her latest, I Must Be Dreaming, which explores the surreal and mysterious world of dreams. And then we will get some music from Black Belt Eagle Scout. Her latest album is titled The Land, the Water, and the Sky. It's inspired by her life in the Pacific Northwest, and uh, she's just an incredible musician. We've got to take a very quick break here. I'm Luke Burbank, by the way. That's Elena Passarello over there. But don't go anywhere, because when we come back, we're going to hear some music from singer-songwriter Isabeau Vaya'u Walker that you do not want to miss. Stay with us. Livewire is thrilled to be partnering with Portland's own Portal Tea this season. Formerly known as Tea Chai Tay, Portal Tea is the premier tea company in the Pacific Northwest. They make one-of-a-kind handcrafted tea blends like cinnamon churro chai and blueberry cream Earl Grey. Use the code LIVEWIRE, all lowercase, for 20% off at portaltea.co. Welcome back to LiveWire from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. All right, our musical guest this week worked as a high school teacher for over a decade while she was also making music. She was also slowly amassing an impressive YouTube following, eventually retired from education early. 
to play music and tour full-time as a member of the band Ila Bamba, and also to record her first EP. Portland Monthly calls her music and overthinkers dream. If I know anything about our listeners, Elena, sounds like it might be their dream. Her full-length album, Body, is available now. This is Isabeau Vaya'u Walker here on Livewire. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Um, you grew up in Hawaii? Yes, I am from Wailuku, Maui. So this song that you're going to play for us, I understand there's like a bit of a story to it. Well, how did this song come about? This song is for my dad, which my dad's birthday is today. Oh, yeah, right on. Yeah, <laughs> he's not here. He's not here. Um, but thanks for clapping for him. His name is Kaleo, and um, I wrote it for him. It's for him. But over time, it's definitely become a song for just local kids back home, mm. for local families. Hawaii is the most isolated island chain in the world, and, and this was just me wanting to make sure that people heard about and talked about kids like Kaleo. Um, but my dad is a, a storyteller, and years ago I was home, and I woke up, and he's like at the foot of the bed. He's like, I have something to tell you, which is not extreme for my dad, <laughs> to be waiting like in the wings, like, I'm ready. And he proceeds to tell me a, a story that I kind of knew already about Auntie Iolani, who was one of the aunties that took him in um, when he was younger, when he was three. Actually, the day that Hawaii declared statehood, my grandfather, Leopold, was killed in a drunk driving accident, and that moment has always been like the shattering point for the Vaya'us. So we knew that. We knew that that was, like a, that was a very sensitive, tender spot. But he's like, Auntie Iolani used to take me in um, during the summers when we were getting just moved around from household to household, and eventually... With some of the settlement money, they sent my dad off to a preparatory academy on the Big Island in hopes that it would make him less angry. But he just stood out in all the worst ways. And um, for Hawaiian graduations, it's a very big deal. You're given lays up into the top of your head. It's a beautiful celebration. In some ways, it's probably heavy because it means a lot of these kids won't maybe have opportunities beyond. Like, this is the last hurrah. So he was at the graduation. He invited my grandma, his mom, and his brothers. And he said he, this is what he's telling me on the edge of the bed. He's like, I invited Auntie Iolani. And I was, it was really important for, for him that she'd show up because she was a stabilizing force, but she was also someone that others looked to and respected. And he's like, if she, if she likes me, then that might say something about me. So she shows up, the ceremony's starting, and when it's done, when it's pow, everyone's like going to their family members to get their lei, and he sees Auntie Iolani walking his way, and the school chaplain, who had just wrecked havoc on my dad's time at this school, stepped in and tried to kind of like network with Auntie and be like, hey, I'm my name, and, and she was just really patient, like, I'm here for Kaleo, and kept walking, and he's like, I just felt like a prince, mm. that he, she would bypass him mm. and walk straight to the kid who just didn't really have a shot at the school. So this is for my dad, but the, I know that that circumstance is just always happening. Yeah. Um, yeah, thanks for listening to the whole story. This is like the only song that I don't like being misunderstood on. Everything Absolutely. else I'm like, yeah, I think it's for you. Or <laughs> what, What's the song called? The Prince. All right, let's hear The Prince.
Gather round the table It's where you hear about the one Who showed up to save his reputation Lawyers, sons, judges, sons With futures locked down with sugar Future. 
teachers locked out with no sugar cane funds. Local boys are borrowed funds, skills growing. They guard themselves from everyone. That was Isabeau by Au Walker here on Livewire. Her latest album, Body, is available now. That is going to do it for this week's episode of Livewire. A big thanks to our guests, Maria Bamford and Isabeau by Au Walker. Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Heather D. Michelle is our executive director. And our producer and editor is Melanie Sevchenko. Eben Hoffer and Molly Pettit are our technical directors, and our house sound is by D. Neil Blake. Trey Hester is our assistant editor. Our marketing and production manager is Karen Pan. Rosa Garcia is our operations associate. Jackie Ibarra is our production fellow. And Becky Phillips is our intern. Our house band is Ethan Fox Tucker, Sam Tucker, A.L. Alves, and A. Walker Spring, who also composes our music. This episode was mixed by Molly Pettit and Trey Hester. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council and the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. This week, we'd like to thank members Kip Silverman of Portland, Oregon, and Kurt Stephenson of Seattle, Washington. For more information about our show or how you can listen to our podcast, head on over to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for Elena Passarello and the whole Livewire team. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a piping hot episode of Livewire delivered right to your heart and ears each week? Well, guess what? That can happen when you subscribe to the Livewire podcast feed and you'll get the joy of surprising conversation every week. So go ahead and do it. It's super easy. You click on the button at the top of your podcast app and bam, you are Livewire subscribed. And if you're still, you know, feeling the love, if you're enjoying the show, hey, maybe you could hook us up and uh, leave us a quick review. That'll help more people find out about Livewire. And thank you.